Talking about Christmas, Pastor Chip is in the middle of his Journey to Christmas series right now. And, um, you know, just like any long journey or any journey, part of the journey is that stop in the middle where you stop for gas and water and use the restroom and stuff like that. So consider today's message that stop in the journey to Christmas. So we'll be taking a little stop, a little break from the journey to Christmas, and I'll be bringing you a message. I know I stand between you and the College Bowl show selection show this afternoon or lunch or some of you are just excited to see Joe Flacco lead the Browns and you can't wait to get out of here. And um, I, I know I'm the one standing in between that, so I'm going to be brief today. But I just, I just think that you're going to get a, a good message today and I'm, I'm praying that the Lord will use me to bring a message that is what you are here for today. Uh, some of you don't know me, my name is Thomas Dixon. I'm one of the life group leaders here at the church. And uh, some of you would have seen me bring a message before. And if you remember, the last time when I was here, I didn't preach, I told you a story. And before I got into that story, I told you a little bit about myself. I explained that although my mom wasn't given the title of coach, she was indeed my first coach. But officially, the title of first coach goes to Godfrey Fuzzy Harry. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a February afternoon. And um, the high school at which I was teaching had their internal sports meet. And after the staff race, which I won comfortably, he came up to me and he said, our country is preparing a team to go to the Olympics, and I think you can be a part of that team. And I laughed. I said, me, going to the Olympics? I was like, nah, I don't think I can make a new Olympic team. He said, I want you to come and train with me. So after laughing at him again, I said, when do you want me to start? He says, right now. I said, okay. What do you want me to do? Now, remember, I've never had one day of formal training in my life. He says, I want you to jog three laps around the outfield. And when you're done, come back and see me. So I said, okay. I jogged three laps around the outfield, and then I came back and saw him. And he, <laughs> he led me through a few stretches, like, I mean, like simple stretches. And then he says, go home, come back tomorrow. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like the Karate Kid move, like, go home, come back tomorrow. So I left saying to myself, there is no way that is going to lead me to, to the Olympics, right? Because, I mean, that was too simple. But I did what he told me, and the rest of it was history. Before I continue, I just want to say, also in our audience today is one of Godfrey's Fuzzy Harry's athletes. Another one of his athletes, Zamisha Mile, is here today. She is a track star at Ohio State University. And uh, I just wanted to recognize her here at, um, at our church today. Today, we're going to examine situations in the Bible where simple acts of obedience leads to reward. I want to start with a story in 1 Kings chapter 17. And today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I usually read the New King James Version. I like the New King James Version. But our lead pastor, he uses the New Living Translation. So for consistency, when I bring my message, I want to use the same version that he does. I don't want you to be switching out Bibles all the time. Okay, so let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. In this story, God is using the prophet Elijah to show how the act of obedience leads to blessing. 
We'll pick up the story in verse 8. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Kings, or you could follow it on the screen behind me. And I'm telling you, if you're having difficulty finding kings in your Bible, you need to join a life group. They will be able to help you with that. All right, so let's go with verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. We will continue the story shortly, but I want to stop here for a minute. The Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village, and I have instructed a widow to feed you. He didn't question God. He simply went. He just went as God instructed him. In today's world, we probably would have been asking God a few questions. Questions such as, how long will I be there? Does she live in a safe neighborhood? Does she have Wi-Fi? Is she a vegan? No, he didn't do anything like that. He simply went. Let's continue the story in verse 10. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Hold on. Let's stop here for a little bit. Does that sound familiar again? Someone asks you to do something, and as soon as you're about to help them, then the list starts growing and growing and growing, and then you say to yourself, maybe, maybe I should have said no in the first place, and then they would not have been asking me for anything else. But guess what? She didn't do that. Instead, this is what she did. Look at verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. She explained to Elijah that she and her son were at their wit's end. They had the last bit of flour to prepare one last meal. After eating this meal, she and her son will starve to death. Now, later on, the story explained that there was a drought and the crops were not growing, and that's why things were that difficult. Now, if I were to put my foot in the shoes of Elijah, and I like to do that sometimes, if I put my foot in, the, in Elijah's shoes, I probably would have been asking the Lord another few questions here. I would have been questions like, Lord, did I go to the wrong widow? How is she expected to feed me when she's broke? Or, is it that she's not broke, but she's lying to me? But Elijah didn't question God. He continued to obey. Sometimes we decide to trust God, but at the first sign of resistance, we turn and run away. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you have said, but make a little bread for me first. Then, what's, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Can you believe that? He didn't say, go ahead and make the meal and give me some. No. He says, make me a little bread first, then use what's left to make something for you and your son. That sounds pretty bold to me. 
But if you think what he said to her was surprising, I think her response was even more incredible. Let's look at her response in verse 15. So she did as Elijah said. No pushback. No pushback at all. That was her response. She simply obeyed. She just did what Elijah said by faith. She obeyed. And as a result of her obedience, look at what the Bible says happened. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. She said nothing. She operated by faith. She did as Elijah said. The Bible said they continued to eat for many days. Remember, they were on their last meal. After that, they were expected to starve to death. But she obeyed the word of God and lived. I suggest you read the rest of that story. Later on in the story, the widow's son died, and Elijah prayed to God, and he was brought back to life. So not only did they not starve to death, but God continued to bless the family because they obeyed. This story gave me, gave me a glimpse into God's parenting style. Just like our earthly parents, instead of focusing on punishing us when we do something bad, he rewards us when we do the right thing. We just looked at one example. But let's look at another story where good things happen when we obey. This story is the story of Naaman's leprosy being healed. And this story is also in the book of Kings. And this time we are in 2 Kings chapter 5. See, because a lot of you are not in life groups, I didn't want to jump around the Bible, so I just want to keep you close to, to the chapter, that we, the book that we just read. So we're going from 1 Kings to 2 Kings. You just turn a few pages. All right. Next time when I know that you're all in life groups, then I could jump around a little bit more. That, that's the plan. All right, so let's start with verse 1. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, depending on the version of Bible that you have, it might say the king of Syria. All right, so let's continue in verse 2. At this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. I want to talk a little bit more about this girl later on in my message. Her statement was all positive. She did not say he may heal him. No. She said he would heal him. She was sure of it. She was absolutely positive. But let's read a little further. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Now, Naaman must have been so excited to hear this. I mean, he had leprosy. I am guessing he would have tried everything he could think of at this point. He probably sprinted to the king just to tell him this news. So let's read on a little further. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Just a side note, I'm too much of an accountant not to do the math here. In today's dollars, if it was today's dollars, we're talking about $260,000 in silver, 
$4.5 million in gold. So that's a total of 4.76 million US dollars. This goes to show the status that Naaman was carrying around. So he's armed with these gifts, some new clothes, I'm guessing, and a letter, and he's on his way to Israel. Let's examine the content of the letter in verse 6. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of leprosy. Let's read that again. With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of leprosy. Well, that's a problem. The girl never said the king would be able to heal Naaman. She said a prophet there would cure him of his leprosy. Now, the king receiving this letter is probably wondering to himself, what's this all about? In fact, let's look at his exact reaction in verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he is just trying to pick a fight with me. Of course. The letter was asking the king to do something that's impossible for the king. No wonder he believes they were trying to pick a fight with him. But this was a teaching moment. Both Naaman and the king were about to be schooled. Let's look at the beginning of this teaching moment in verse 8. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Again, I will talk a little bit later about the king's reaction where he tore his clothes in dismay. But let's continue this story in verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. He waited at the door. I am guessing that with him having leprosy, he did not want to go inside. Maybe because he had leprosy, he's not allowed to go inside. He waited for Elijah to come out to him. Let's look at verse 10. But Elijah sent a messenger out with a message. He didn't come out. He sent a messenger with a message. And he says, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. Sounds easy enough. Just go to the Jordan River, wash yourself seven times. It is that simple. However, that is not what Naaman wanted to hear, or what he was expecting. Let's look at verse 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Remember, Naaman is this great commander in the king's army. He has great status, for crying out loud. He travels around with $7.6 million as gifts. I am sure he expected Elijah to come out to him. But instead of coming out to him, Elijah sent him a message. He said, I expect him to wave his hand over the leprosy, and it would just disappear. But instead, he told me to go and wash in the river Jordan, which is in Israel. Naaman continued by saying in verse 12, 
Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar, better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. He was mad. He was mad. And why won't he be mad? He traveled from Syria to Israel. I googled it. And depending on your starting point and your ending point, we're talking about close to 400 miles. He didn't jump on a plane or in a super-fast automobile, and even then it would still be a far journey. He traveled by chariot and horse. And then the prophet didn't even offer him the courtesy of coming outside. He sent him a message. And to add a fuel to the fire, Elijah told him to wash in the Jordan River in Israel. Naaman believes the rivers in his home country were better than the Jordan. Why wouldn't he just wash there? Now, put yourself in Naaman's position. Imagine you traveled all the way from, let's say, Florida, where some of the most beautiful beaches in America are. And you came to see Elijah in Ohio. And instead of coming out to see you, he sent you a message telling you to wash in Buckeye Lake. That would make me mad. So the Bible said he turned and he went away in a rage. Let's read verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So, should you, should, so you should certainly obey him when he says, simply, go and wash and be cured. Now, fortunately for Naaman, his officers were able to talk to him. They reasoned with him. It is always good when you have people who can talk honestly and open with you. Sometimes you just need another perspective on things. So look at that. They asked him, if he had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? I believe he would have. He wants to be healed. So they said to him, if he asked you to do something simple, why not just do it? The key point I'm trying to raise here is how simple the required act was to receive a blessing. Let's continue the story in verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. Remember, he didn't want to do as Elijah had instructed him. I don't know about you, but I could imagine the Naaman here. He went to the river with reluctance. He's probably dragging himself like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So he dragged himself there. And picture himself dipping in the river. One time, came up. Nothing. Same thing. Everything looks the same. Two times. Nothing. Three, four, five, six times. And nothing happened. When he's about to dip the seventh time, I can imagine him turning to his officers and says, here goes nothing. Now, if he did that, we should change the saying from doubtful Thomas to doubtful Naaman. However, although he was hesitant, he still obeyed and did as he was instructed, and he dipped for a seventh time. And let's look at the rest of verse 14. And his skin became as healthy 
as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. The Bible says, when he came up the seventh time, his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. It didn't just say his skin was healthy. For emphasis, it says, as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. That is the power of obedience. Naaman did not want to do it. He did not believe that would be the answer. But he obeyed, and he was rewarded. He was blessed. There are so many lessons to be learned from this story. First, there's the contrast between the faith of the servant girl and the distress of the king of Israel. The servant girl believes, through the prophet, that God will be able to heal Naaman. The king, he did not share such faith. Also, there's the contrast between the arrogance of Naaman and the lowliness of Elijah. Naaman was almost too proud and stubborn to follow simple instructions, maybe even too rich. As a result, he almost bypassed the blessing that God had in store for him. Jesus himself used both of these stories in his teachings. Let's look at Luke 4, 25 to 27. Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's, in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed and the, for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Here, Jesus was referring to the story of Elijah and the widow that we talked about earlier in 1 Kings. And immediately in the next verse, he's talking about the story of Naaman that we just looked at. Let's look at verse 27. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Now, Jesus did not use this story to talk about obedience, but I just think it's cool that I'm referencing stories that Jesus directly referenced. I like to share good news. And here's some good news. If you don't take anything else away from today, I want you to take this away. God is still the same today as in the days of Elijah and Elijah. Amen. He is still talking to us. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you obedient to what he's telling you? God may not be telling you to do something as drastic as go to a strange land and find a widow to feed you. For that matter, we can bring the story a little closer to home. God may not be telling you to go on any of the three mission trips that our church support in Vietnam, Brazil, or Haiti. But here's what you can do. You can take baby steps. There's a mission trip going to West Virginia in June of next year. Maybe you can do that. I hear there's still open spots there. And if that step is too big for you, take smaller ones. You can volunteer here at your church one month, one week, one day. You will be surprised to see how that one opportunity will bless others and bless yourself. Sometimes it is hard to hear God talking to us with all the noise around 
Here is what I'm going to suggest to you. Here's my advice to you. Stop. Listen. We have to be ready to hear him. We have to be prepared to listen. So here's a suggestion. Find some quiet time just for you and God. Talk to him in prayer. Listen to him by reading his words. And I can't emphasize this enough. Join a life group. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. I believe in making changes immediately. But if you're into New Year's resolutions, try making listening for God a part of your New Year's resolution. Remember, every journey begins with one step. It can even be a baby step. You take that step, and God will be right there to walk the rest of the way with you. That act of obedience is enough to reap many rewards. And the, the most loved two words of any preaching message is coming right now. Anyone can guess what they are? In closing, <laughs> there are many references in the Bible where God rewards those who obey. If I were to list half of them, we would be here all day. But I'd just like to mention a few of them. Deuteronomy 6, 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. Now, you can replace that word Israel with your name. I'm going to try that. For example, it can be saying, Listen closely, Thomas, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. Huh. Hey, let me try that with my wife. <laughs> Listen closely, Alethea. And be careful to obey, then all will go well with you. I like the sound of that. I think I'd use that more often at home. <laughs> Another example is found in uh, Proverbs 16:20. Those who listen to instructions will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. Also in Proverbs 19:16, keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. Psalms 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. And for those of you who are thinking, those are all Old Testament examples and want something more current, I got you covered. Let's look at something in the New Testament. 1 John 3, 22 and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. You have to admit, that is an incredible list of promises. If you follow God's directions, you will be blessed, saved, watched over, taken care of, given what you ask for, be happy, live longer, and lack nothing good. I don't know about you, but I want those rewards. They are promised to me and you. So I ask you this question again. Are you listening? Remember, God is still the same. The promises are still the same. Nothing's changed. Obedience equals reward. It is 
that simple. You've been a wonderful congregation. I thank you.